0: Morning. Thanks for being with us today. Um, One of my favorite verses I memorized a long, long time ago is something that Paul said, And God is able to make all grace abound, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And one of the things that I love so much about this verse is that, God has given us all that we need to do good. And as we talk about Prime the Pump and giving generously, we want to be a church that does good. And Prime the Pump is a yearly offering that we take so that we can take care of our community and offer compassionate care to those who are in need, as well as we want to be here in Old Brooklyn, a church that helps reach our community in a healthy way. So part of the offering that we're working to save towards is, uh, first, we want to... um, purchase a technology that helps translate our services into Spanish-speaking so that our Spanish-speaking friends can come and be part of the service as well. And then our big goal that we're working towards is getting new doors on the building because ours are a little bit old and janky. So pray with us and see what God might do through you. Next week, we're going to pray and can receive this offering together and see what God might do when we say yes to giving generously to him. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I'm so thankful that you are a God who is good. I'm thankful that you are a God who is gracious in all things. I pray, Father, as we learn to know you better and do life with you, you would encourage our hearts, that you would strengthen our minds, that we would be the men and women you've called us to be. I pray that as we walk through this life, that you would remind us Christ is with us. He goes before us, he goes behind us, and he's already prepared the way. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I read the book by um, Jordan Peterson called 12 Rules for Life, and he says it's an antidote to chaos. He gives 12 rules or advice to follow for how to live life in a way that balances the chaos and order that happens in our life. And it's really built on this principle that each of us must take responsibility for our own lives and how do we help reduce suffering so that we can each of us live better lives. So it's interesting, because he goes through, and there's rules that are like, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Make friends with people who want the best for you. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. And he's got little anecdotes and stories and philosophy that he weaves through. But one of the things that he says that really stuck out to me is the idea that failure is the price we pay for standards if we're going to get better at anything, right? If we're gonna have a standard for what good is and excellent is, we're gonna fail on the way of getting there. And his suggestion for how to deal with the overwhelming complexity of the world is ignore it. Now stay with me for a second, because I know this can catch us wrong if we let it. He says, you can't think about everything, right? If you try to think about every single thing, it's overwhelming, and then you end up thinking about nothing. So his suggestion is, when you think about the overwhelming complexity of the world, ignore it while you concentrate minutely on your private concerns. He said, you see things that facilitate your movement forward toward desired goals, detect obstacles when they pop up in your path, and become blind to everything else. His point is, there's more of the world than there is of you. And your choice, your job, is to shepherd your limited resources carefully. And I love this because he said seeing is very difficult, but your eyes are tools and we get to choose what we see and let the rest go. We choose where we look, what we pay attention to because we can't look at everything. We can't be guided by everything. Now his point isn't bury your head in the sand and act like all the problems don't exist, right? His point isn't um, just live in your little bubble and ignore everything else. His point is choose wisely what you're looking at that helps lead you in your path forward because what we let guide us and direct us what we focus on we get to choose and he gives us these really interesting questions if you want to do any kind of like thinking contemplative work he says ask yourself the question what's actually bothering me do you ever just feel annoyed or angry before and like you stop and say like why am i annoyed what am i really bothered by and then he says is it something you can fix If it is something you can fix are you actually willing to fix it and then if you i this is a good question if you ever just have time write this down and think about it one day what could i do that i would do that would make life better and i love his qualifier here because we know we could do a lot of things But what would I actually do that I could do that would make life better? Because again, we can't do everything, right? But what could I actually do that I would be willing to do to make life better for those around me? And he says, to the best of my ability, I will act in a manner that leads to the alleviation of unnecessary pain and suffering and i just i find it so interesting because if our eyes are tools right we get to choose how to use them well where to look what we focus on yes the world can be complex and overwhelming and chaotic and if we let that be our lens then we end up doing nothing because we don't even know where to start but where we look determines our direction and our direction becomes that path for life that we follow and that path day after day builds into who we truly are. And it's interesting, because Paul in his letter to um, the church in Colossae gives us this great advice on how to use our eyes well, that we get to choose where to look. Listen to what he says in Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And it's interesting, because this is what Paul's saying. He's saying it to the church. He's saying it to us. We get to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ. He can be the one that we look to when we're trying to figure out how to do life well. We can look to him and let him be our guide, the one that we follow now this is so interesting we're going to unpack this idea actually over the next couple of weeks like what does it really mean to follow christ right like it's one thing to go to church and hear sermons and sing but like how does that show up in every part of our life like at home at work and who i choose to be how does this faith thing and this following christ show up in who we are daily, right? The choices that we make, the values that we work on, the habits that we're building, the goals that we're setting for the kind of people that we want to become. So Paul kind of starts this giving us advice on where we set our hearts and minds. He says, set them on Christ, building our life with him. Because if Christ is who he says he is and he did what he said he could do, there's no better direction we could find in doing life. Now, it's interesting because when we talk about what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ, it really is at its heart a relationship to Jesus Christ. And as we get to know him better, he guides us and directs us. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's start with, Paul says, we can set our hearts on things that are above. So let's look at our hearts. There's a lot of things that we try to fill our life with, our hearts with, right? Relationships, work, kids, families, Uh, status, achievement, and we think all of these things, when we finally get them right, will really make us happy, right? Just the right relationship will make me happy, or if my kids would just do what I told them to do, things would be good, or the right job, the right paycheck. If we could get these things in order, then life will be good, and all of these things would just work out the way we want them to. We'd be happy, and life would work right, and my heart would feel good. Okay, Now, all of these are good things, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a family and a job and all of these things, but when they become our only things, our defining things, we really set ourselves up for disappointment because we get so caught up in them, our sense of self comes for these things, right? Like, if I'm only a wife or only a mom or only my job, then what happens when any one of these dynamics change? our achievements, our talents, our social status, our relationships, power, approval from others. When these things become central to our happiness, what happens? When they're going good, I feel good. (laughs) When they're going bad, I feel bad. They aren't strong enough a foundation for me to build my life on. When my family's happy, life feels amazing. But whose family is happy all of the time, right? That's not how families work. When my job is good, life is awesome. But whose job is only good and perfect all of the time? What happens is when any of these things fall apart, we start to lose our sense of self. Our identity becomes threatened. There was um, a really interesting thinker, Soren Kierkegaard. He said, Only if your identity is built on God and his love can you have a self that can venture anything and face anything. What he's saying is we all have these God-shaped holes inside of our heart that nothing else can fill. No job, no relationship, no amount of influence or prestige or stuff that you fill your lovely homes with. None of these things can fill these gaps that our hearts are longing for. Only God can. We can spend our whole life searching for something to fill that longing that we have, that desperate need we have in our hearts but the only thing that really truly fills it and gives us a solid foundation for life is Jesus Christ. When we set our hearts on things that are above, what Paul is telling us is we're looking to Christ. Christ comes first. We're letting him define who we are. It means we got to clear out some of the clutter and the junk that's built up in our life and our hearts over the years and make room to look to him now it doesn't mean we're looking up at the clouds and just wishing life would be better and not focusing on this world at all what it means is when christ comes first the better i am at loving him and doing life with him the better i am at doing everything else the better i love god the better i can love my family The better I love Christ and do life with him, the better I am to my coworkers on a daily basis. The more God fills up my heart first, the better I am at doing life in the kind of way that's driven by love. Not selfishness or fear or avoidance, right? And I just want to live a life of avoidance and get as comfortable as I can. It's not about making choices that just make things easier and easier, but it's driven and motivated by love. And we love because God first loved us. We're capable of love that's driven by courage and sacrifice because that's exactly how God loves us. If you read through anywhere, anywhere in the whole Bible, you see a God that loves us with the best of himself. God didn't just give us his leftovers. God never treats us ambivalently. He gave us the very best of himself when Jesus Christ came into the world. Fully God, fully human, he redeemed us and saved us and rescued us by doing what we could never do on our own. By taking on everything, the ugliness of our whole human condition on himself and drawing us in. I love this. It comes from a theologian, Thomas Oden. He draws us into his sphere of love. That's what Christ does. And when my heart is set on Jesus Christ, I am reminded how he loves me. How does Christ love us? He's actively loving us, sacrificially loving us with the best of himself. And when my, my heart is set on the love of Christ, my heart is filled with him, then it in turn allows me to love better. I'm not focused on what's lacking, right? We all have lacks. We all have things that are missing. I'm, I'm focused on what's filling me up. I'm not focused on who others say I am or what other people are saying about me. I'm focused on who does Christ call me to be? It's the overwhelming, never-ending love of Christ that fills in the hollow places that life creates, the gaps that exist, the emptinesses that are there. Christ comes along to fill us up, and he reminds us this life that we live, this day-after-day existence, it's more than just for today. It's more than just for this moment in this time we were created with meaning and purpose in an existence that goes long beyond what these earthly bodies can contain. If we are looking to Jesus Christ, what's Paul saying? We're looking up, not down, right? Our hearts are on Christ, which then gives us the focus to do everything else day after day differently because Christ is filling our hearts. So the question is, what time am I spending with Jesus Christ, right? It's one thing to hear how awesome he is. It's one thing to hear these great ideas. But what time am I really giving Christ day after day after day so that his love can fill my heart, so that his voice becomes louder than any of the other voices that I hear, so I can be reminded who he is and who he's called us to be? It's hard to have an authentic faith in Jesus Christ if we never spend any time with him. It's hard to really know who he is if we only ever secondhand hear about him and never spend time with him on our own. My best advice I can give us is spend time with Christ by reading the Bible. Pick up the Bible, even if you start in the New Testament, start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just read his words, see his heart, Read some of Paul's letters that help us think about God in right ways and encourage us on how to really set our hearts on Christ and think about Christ who sits at the right hand of God, full of glory, love, and compassion. Paul says we can put our hearts on Christ and they can fill us up to do life in the kind of way that he is with us actively day after day after day. But then the second thing he says is set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, again, right? Paul's not saying just bury your head in the sand, go live in the clouds, everything, right? The exact opposite of what he's saying. He's saying if we really are putting our minds on Jesus Christ, it's because of who we live for that changes how we live in the world. It's the very one Christ who shows us how to care for humanity and work for justice with compassion that directs our minds and hearts. This isn't burying our heads in the sand and forgetting about the rest of the world. This is letting Christ drive our minds in the kind of way that helps us work for the world how he's prepared us and called us to do. Now think about this for a second. Your mind is a powerful thing. If you've ever done any study of the brain and how the brain works, it's just fascinating. I'm not smart enough to understand like 90% of it. Apparently my brain doesn't work that way. But how your brain works is just overwhelmingly cool. And whatever really occupies our mind is what's directing our life. Because think about, what you spend time thinking about controls the directions that we take. We're all thinking about something, right? Actively or passively, our minds fill whether we want it to or not. And even when we're not paying attention, our mind wanders somewhere. And if we aren't careful, if we don't ever think about it or work at it or do anything to control it, our minds can wander to places that aren't going to take us anywhere good or healthy or right. Because what happens in our minds shapes the rest of our life, which means I have to be responsible for my mind and my thinking. Instead of it just letting it be a crazy place up there, which I don't know how the inside of your, your head looks, sometimes mine is just a crazy place, we have to pay attention. We have to focus on what we put in, what we think about, what we are looking at, where we're directing it, because we can't look at everything, right? We can't focus on everything, it's too much, but we can choose what we pay attention to that sets us up for the very best life possible. One of, uh, it's a great book if you're ever are looking for something to read. I talk about it as often as I can. Craig Rochelle wrote the book, Winning the War on Your Mind. And it's so good because he really said, I'll give you some of the ideas. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. The life that we have is a reflection of what we think and what we think will determine who we become tomorrow. Listen, the battle for your life is always won or lost in your mind, right? I mean, there's so many just powerful—the truth is, if I think I can, I'll figure out a way to do it. If I think I can't, it is impossible. It is too hard, because what we think sets us up for what we do. And God gave us these brilliant, incredible minds. The brain that we have has the capacity to think and learn and grow. We have the ability to ask questions and develop understanding. One of the things that developed in our life from being a child to an adult is we could go from really concrete to abstract. We can hold conflicting ideas in our mind that maybe don't fit and we're not quite sure how they work together. Our minds work in these incredible ways. And when God calls us to put our minds on things that are above, this is so important for us. Loving God in faith, it's not an absence or suspension of belief. It's not mindless. Following God was never supposed to be, I'm just gonna quit using my mind and only have this faith that jumps off of the highest places and expects that I'll land. It's it's the exact opposite. Jesus told us, love God with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Use these incredible brains that God has given us. Think hard thoughts. Ask hard questions. Study big ideas. Learn and have conversations that challenge you and grow you. People who don't think the same way that we do, they're not in opposition to us. It's a perfect opportunity to become curious to learn. Learn. And if you study it, Christianity has been a thinking religion. Go back and think through and read through. Some of the stuff that people have thought about God and faith, I need, like, a dictionary. The first time I read theology, I had a dictionary, I had a Bible, and I had my theology book because I didn't understand 95% of it because they had these big, vast, huge thoughts about God. Okay, it's not mindless. It's using the very capacity to learn, grow, study, and understand that God has given us to think about him and how he works in this world that he's created and who we are in it. We grow in our faith by reading and learning and talking and studying. We develop minds that have faith and capacity by thinking through hard ideas and challenging ourselves with hard concepts. We get to choose what we think about. We get to choose what we focus on. We get to choose where we direct our minds. And it's so incredibly important that we do, because look, your life is following in the direction of your thoughts. And if we don't have any control of that, we are passive participants in this life that we've been created to live. We get to have a choice every day on what's gonna go in my mind, right? What am I gonna think about? What am I gonna pay attention to? What am I gonna read? What am I gonna watch? What am I gonna study? What am I gonna learn? And how we think influences us in incredible ways. Listen to this idea that came from psychology today. The conversations you have with yourself have a direct impact on how you feel and how you behave. If your self-talk is filled with doubt, harsh criticism, catastrophic predictions, you'll struggle to reach your goals. But you don't have to let a pessimistic outlook or foreboding inner monologue hold you back. You can train your brain to think differently. I just want you to hold on to that idea for a second. You can train your brain. It's like a muscle. And just like any muscle gets grown or developed, you use it and you train it to work differently. We have things. Some of us are more mean to ourselves than we are to anybody else. The things that we think, the things that we say, we'd never let anybody else talk to us that, talk to anybody that way that we love. And yet we put no checks on ourselves about the crazy thoughts that go on in our head. What we put in affects our life. What we think about, especially how we think about ourselves, has a huge effect on who we are. Charles Duhigg wrote a really cool um, book about the power of habit. I'm always trying to, I feel like I always want to have better habits, so I keep reading books about habits, thinking like the more I read, the better habits I'll have. But he says, a habit is a formula our brain automatically follows habit is something you're so used to doing you do it sometimes without even thinking about it it's a it's a path that you followed but he says habits can be changed habits can be replaced and if you want to change a habit you have to find an alternative route now think about this for a second it's so incredible if you just say you're driving to work right you have the same way you drive to work every day you just sometimes don't even think about it do you ever just get to work and you're like i don't know how i got here (laughs) but you're so used to doing it, it's become just by rote. that's how you get there. And then one day they do construction and your route is closed and you have to take a totally different route. Okay, you pay attention, you see different things, the world looks a little bit different, you get to where you're going. Okay, it's a silly example, but stay with me. Your mind, your habits, they become trajectory routes that you take. And if you want to get different places, if you don't like the path that you're on, change the routes, change the habits, and go a different way. And sometimes just going a different way, it's uncomfortable at first, right? You want to go back to the way that you know and you don't have to think about. But when you change the route, it gets you to a place that you want to be in a different way. What if the habits that you have right now in your life, they aren't working for you? What if it's time to train your brain to think differently and find a new route, one that's healthier, one that produces a better outcome in who you wanna be and what you want to accomplish? It starts with your mind, what you think about, what you focus on, what you pay attention to, who you wanna be, the values you aspire to, the goals that you've created. You are in control of these things. What if you just start by paying attention this week? how much of what you're focusing on is healthy? How much is productive? We all, do you ever just feel like you need a mind break? Like you've just worked so hard, your mind is gonna turn to mush in about a second, right? We all need space for our minds to wander, downtime, but that's usually not, what happens is, our majority of what we focus on, we say, I just need a downtime, and then two hours later, we've been watching Netflix for a really long time, and we've lost control, right? Or we're like, I'm just going to really quickly go on social media and see what's going on, and the next thing I know, I followed this rabbit hole, this rabbit hole, this rabbit hole, and I've wasted all of this time. It happens on the news. It happens with uh, what other people, sometimes we get lost in these conversations, and we lose sight of everything else. I can't think about everything. There's not enough space or time to do it, but I can't think about the right things. And I can choose what the right things are, the healthy things, the helpful things, the hard things, things that move me, things that challenge me, things that open my eyes to seeing things in new and right ways. When our minds are set on Christ, we're focusing on him first, and everything flows out of our faith in him and our relationship to him. What if Every single day, I spent time to put my mind on Christ. I'm going to give you a suggestion, so stay with me for a second. There's this, it's actually a spiritual discipline of meditation. Now, meditation, we think of it as like the Eastern form where you just empty your mind completely, right? You want it to be blank. But that's not what we say meditation is when it comes to a spiritual focus. We don't want to just empty, mindlessly empty our minds. We want to redirect our minds and fill it with the right things. So we can spend time meditating every single day thinking about Jesus Christ. We can set a goal that says, I'm gonna set aside 10 minutes and I'm gonna read my Bible and then I'm gonna spend 10 minutes thinking through these ideas of what I've read. I'm training my mind to think about Christ. I'm training my brain to focus what I want it to focus on and not get distracted by negativity in the environment and everything else that's going on. What we think about determines how we act. How we act determines who we are. That's how we think about it, right? Stay with me for a second. We think that how we feel determines what we do. If I feel like it, I'll do it. But 90% of the time, whoever feels like doing it, right? You don't feel your way into acting. And we think how we act determines who we are. But it actually works the exact opposite. Our identity comes first. Who I am comes first. And if I really am a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, loved and valued, one who thinks about Christ, this shapes how I act. My identity in him, my heart filled with his love and his calling, then that's how I act first I say, this is who I am, no matter what. Doesn't matter what circumstance, doesn't matter what day, doesn't matter what's going on. This is who I am. I am the man, the woman that Christ says I am. My heart is filled with him. My mind is set on him. Then I act that way. Then every day I make choices that reflect, this is who I am on Jesus Christ. And then the more I act that way, the more and more I feel that way. I don't act my way into feel I feel my way into acting better. I act my way into feeling better, and what happens is the more I say this is who I am, my actions flow from there. The more my actions flow from there, my feelings follow suit. When we say this is who I am in Jesus Christ, what I'm saying is I want to be the guy, the girl He's called me to be. The expectations, the values that go along with it. This is who I am. This is how I want to live. But think about this for a second because i know it'd be easy just to focus on the mind and the heart because these are very interesting ideas paul's writing a letter to a community he's writing a letter to a group of people a church this whole group of people trying to figure out how to live out their faith in jesus christ every single day so we have to focus our mind and our heart but we need a group paul's writing this letter for a church to read and think about together We need a community. We need a group of people that we're doing life with that helps us set our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ, who's reminding us to look up when we've gotten distracted by the things around us, who's helping us grow and challenging us to think through hard things together. Getting better at anything every study you can read. If you want to exercise, if you exercise with people, you'll do a better job of it. If you want to eat healthier, you eat healthier with a group of people, you'll do better at it. Everything you want to do, if you want to study and learn about something and you do it with a group of people, you'll get better at it. Anything you want to get better at, you are better at when you aren't doing it alone. And growing in your faith was never supposed to be done all by yourself. That's why God gave us the church. It's by God gave us this community, this family to do life with that helps us learn and grow and serve and have fun and be with each other in the good times and the bad times, everywhere in between. We're supposed to be doing life together so that we have brothers and sisters right with us who are with us, challenging us, doing life together. question is, do you have a group? Who's in your group of people that you're doing life with in this kind of way? Brad Stolberg wrote a book, and it's all about, it's called The Practice of Groundedness, how to really do life successfully without, like, burning yourself out or running yourself into the ground, and he calls it a sustainable model of success. But one of his big ideas is if you want to live a successful life, you have to develop deep community. He said, the people with whom you surround yourself shape you. Being super productive is fine, but not if it crowds out time for cultivating meaningful relationships. Most people feel best in a tribe. Yearning for belonging runs deep in our DNA. Make time for it. it. Said motivation is contagious. We're all mirrors reflecting onto one another. The people around you provide gap gravity when you soar and they provide a safety net when you fall. Nobody reaches the top alone. Isn't that powerful? We were created to do life together we grow better when we have people around us doing life with us as we grow in our faith and our values we need friends and community who are working through the same things together we learn from each other grow with each other challenge each other we need relationships that connect us and groups that are with us and helping fill in those gaps and reminding us how awesome jesus christ is our hearts and minds grow with others we truly are better together and if you aren't in a group in the church you're missing a huge part of how god wants to grow your mind your faith and your heart we have a lot of opportunities we're going to talk about it a little bit later but i don't want you to leave today without considering what group can you be a part of that god can be at work growing your faith in your heart in your mind dear father i pray that you would help us I pray that as we uh, set out to do this life with you, you would remind us that you are a God who is for us and a God who loves us. I pray, Father, that our hearts would turn towards you, that you would fill us with the courage and the compassion and the hope that we need to do this life well. I pray that you would challenge our minds to think big ideas and we would grow in our learning and understanding and faith in who you are. Help us, I pray. Connect us to the great group of people that we can learn and be seen and known and do life in the kind of way that's pleasing and honoring to you.